Good morning, good morning, good morning. If you don't mind turning with me to Acts chapter 18. I think Stephen said last time that we are finished with Acts. I don't know if I wasn't here, so, so I'm getting on with Acts. <laughs> I wasn't here. So we read from verse, let's actually read from verse 19, uh, maybe 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and uh, Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off and, uh, at, uh, at uh, oh, pancreas. Because of a vow he had taken, they arrived at uh, Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue, I underline synagogue into my Bible, and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But he left, but when, as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail to Ephesus. When he, le- he, he landed in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set, off, set out from there and traveled from, from place to place throughout the region of Gal- uh, Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexander, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and thought about Jesus accurately. I underline that in my Bible. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Synagogue again. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. Now it's home. And explained to him the way of God more adequately. Accurately adequately. I don't know if you had the same feeling when you were reading this passage of scripture. I got arrested there. Accurately, adequately. And then there was also synagogue, synagogue, synagogue. And then greeted the church. He left the synagogue but went and greeted the church. Synagogue, church, synagogue, church, home, accurately, adequately. Talking about that, uh, I went back in a bit of my history, my upbringing, uh, I had the privilege of knowing all my grandparents, wonderful people. Uh, I mean, when I talk about I talk about them, there's always some emotions that come through because I love them so so much. I had the privilege of knowing them. They were godly fearing. They were God fearing grandparents. But my grandmother, from my father's side, she was so severe, so, so disciplinarian that. She, she actually disciplined us more than my father, my mother, and the other grandfather, I mean, and the grandparent disciplined us. She, she was just a different person. She wanted the purposes of God in our life so much. We didn't understand it at that time, that she would actually be the, 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 the kind of the iron lady in the family. So she would come, we'll be so happy to, to have her, but then, oh, it's like, no, we remember. Last time she came here, she kept on just correcting us and all that. So we'll, we'll wait for a moment. There will always be a moment where we'll have her back. She'll do something that will at least will lighten up her stay with us because we'll laugh at her 
for the whole time because she would just do something. It so happened that my father wanted to have some family memories. And he pulled out a camera to take photos. But what my grandmother didn't know is that technology had evolved. <laughs> some of you will know what is Super 8. I, I kind of, I'm giving my age away. I'm not going to tell you what my age was, because last time I, I did that, there was a person that called me uncle. <laughs> I'm not going to mention her, but uh, ek, ek, ek your worm me. <laughs> your Jan Sefro, ekesni your worm me. So she didn't realize that the technology had actually moved. That was not a still camera. It wasn't a photographic camera. It was a cinematographic camera. So she stood there because she was waiting for the photo to be taken. We kept on encouraging her. You can move. You can do something. You can come to us. We're building memories here. But she just said, I'm not going to trust you. I know you little people. I'm not going to move because they're taking a photo of me. So we have moved from photography to cinematography, but for her, she was still in the photography age. And this is what Apollos was going through, is that the gospel had moved on, but he was still living in the days of John the Baptist. Before I can even go into the message, I'd like to say that if, if, if I could give a title to this message, I don't think that this is a title, but I'm just, I'm just feeling... Coming back from Eugene preaching and, and all, especially Eugene preaching, he actually said we need to take the gospel home. If it doesn't work home, don't take it any other place. It has to work home first. And when we are dealing with people at home, my question today to us as a community, are we dealing with people with a photographic memory or are we dealing with people in the light of the script or the full movie that Jesus is displaying above uh, uh, in our midst. You know, accuracy speaks about perfection. Adequacy speaks about progress. Are we wanting people to be perfect at a given time? Or are we rather wanting people or even ourselves to be progressing in our love for God? Are we wanting profit, which is accuracy? Or are we actually wanting purpose? Are we in business for profit? Or are we in business for purpose? Profit is accurate. Purpose is adequate. Buying and selling, accuracy. But in the kingdom of God, it's sowing and reaping, which is adequate. Shortage, that's the world. There's always shortage of everything. Shortage, shortage, shortage. But in the kingdom, there's adequacy. There's abundance. Fairness, that's a world, but the kingdom is kindness. You know, when we read the scripture, do we read the scripture with a photographic camera or do we actually read the scripture with a cinematographic camera? Lazarus in the tree. No, not Lazarus in the tree. Lazarus is supposed to be in a tomb. <laughs> Zacchaeus, Luke 19, in the tree. How do we see Zacchaeus? Do we see Zacchaeus as the Pharisees saw him? 
Jesus, you have gone to eat with a sinner. They had a photo of him, probably a photo of him in the tree. Or do we see him as Jesus described him? Today, even this man is a son of Abraham. Because I have come to seek and save the lost. Do we see the prodigal as a son that squandered all his, his father's property? That's a photo of the past. Or do we see him in the light of the future? Where the father says, your brother was dead, but today he's alive. Do we see prophets? When we hire people, you know what? We've been hired for 11 hours. Therefore, you're going to get paid more than that one that got hired for, for one hour. Or do we see them in the light of God's grace? Where actually the first will be last and the last will be first. Do we see the woman that was caught in adultery with a photographic memory? Where they actually call all the people, you know what? From the old one, come, come. You've got a better, better photographic memory, you know? Come and describe what you saw. Or do we see the woman that was caught in the act of adultery with a cinematographic memory? Where Jesus will actually say, go and sin no more. Yes, in the past you did that. But now I'm giving you the ability to sin no more. My death and resurrection will empower you to sin no more. The full story, not just a snap or, or maybe a, a still picture into the past. Do we see ourselves in the light of the past, or do we see ourselves in the light of the promises of God over our lives? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 15 to 17 says, we should not look at ourselves in the light of the world. I'm paraphrasing. paraphrasing. We should look at ourselves in the light of the promises of God spoken over us. The promises of God is that we can be living, overcoming sin, because he overcame sin by dying and being raised from the dead. Those are the promises of God over our life. Do we see ourselves in that light? Or do we see people in the light of the past? God might have spoken. I really felt God might have spoken to you, business person, to say, engage, go into a new venture, new movie that I'm doing, new story that I'm writing, but you are probably stuck on that time of the past where you lost million. God has spoken, but you are stuck because there's a photo. Meanwhile, he's making a movie. Maybe there's that, that girl that told you no when you're still at high school, but today you are still not married because that no is still resounding. It's like a photo, photographic memory. Meanwhile, the father is unveiling a new movie, a new story with somebody else that is not going to tell you no. But because there's a fear of the past, you're not moving on. Are we seeing our country in the light of the past? There's a photo, something happened, still photo. Or are we seeing our country in the light of the movie that God is actually unfolding? Photographic memory or cinematographic memory. That was my first point. I don't want to preach long today because I don't want to be blamed for the rugby. <laughs> you know, we lost or we won. No. 
He was well-educated. This is the message version. He was well-educated in ways of the masters and fiery in his enthusiasm. Apollos was accurate in everything he taught about Jesus up to a point. This is the message. He was accurate up to a point, but he only went as far as the baptism of John was concerned. He preached with power in meeting places. Underline that, in meeting places. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and told him the rest of the story. The full story. Your story is not finished. My story is not finished. My story is not stuck somewhere in the past. Our story is not finished. God is still carrying on. God is still carrying on. Why are you wanting to take your life away? Because life is so difficult. You only want to take your life away because you think your story is finished. You have a photographic memory of what has happened. Meanwhile, the father is saying, I am carrying on. There's much more. You are a poem. There's still much more that I'm going to do. Why have we stopped? Why have we stopped? I remember I, only, I almost wanted to stop. You know, they stole a Renault. The car, the Renault. <laughs> How, who's, who steals a Renault? <laughs> what country is this where they're stealing Renaults? <laughs> I mean, look for something else to steal. They stole a Renault. But if you have got hope, and the father reminded me, if you have got hope in me, you will know that this country has got a future even though they are stealing Renaults. So this Apollo was preaching half the gospel instead of preaching the full gospel. Let's go and actually look at John the Baptist himself. He was following on, on John the Baptist's example, but John the Baptist knew that his gospel was half. Okay, let's read uh, Luke 3, verse 8. Produce fruits of, produce fruit keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Verse 10, what shall we do? The crowd asked, what shall we do? What a profound question. Produce fruits of repentance. And they asked, what shall we do? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax, collector come to, even tax collector came to be baptized. Teachers, they ask, what shall we do? What shall we do? We always want to do something for our own salvation. We want to do, we want to do. We want, and it seems like he didn't have an answer for them. What shall we do? What shall we do? Do not collect any more than you require, he told them. What shall we do? Then some soldiers asked him, what shall we do? He replied, do not exhort, ex sorry, extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your, play, with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering if their heart, in their heart, sorry, if John might possibly be the Messiah. What shall we do? What shall we do? He told them, be content with your pay. Next time there's a, there's a riot, that's a very nice pancard to actually 
have. You just go and stand in front of a government building or a business for that matter. Even the private sector can also have the same problem as the public sector. Let us just clear that one out. A, a, a pancard saying, be content with your pay. And wear a helmet when you're doing that. <laughs> Be content with your pay. We all, we've all bought into the gospel of, uh, I mean, uh, uh, of uh, uh, Fatman. I discovered somebody called Fatman. I'm listening to RS Gia Radio. <laughs> he sang a song and I'm like, yeah, this is so true, you know. Exo content. Exo conduan. I'm sorry, let me get this right. <laughs> let me get back to Pete's notes. Exo con don mit a million. I mean, we've all, we've all bought into the gospel of fat man. Exo con don mit a million. Van dar mir, was die Welt fear. May. Van, want daar mee was die wereld ver mee. I'm forgetting that word. Oral immer groen. Ja, ik zou kon doen met een miljoen. We, we will always be happy with an extra million. Always. Somebody was told, what's the difference between you and a millionaire? He said, he said, I've got five kids. I'm happy. The millionaire has got five million. He's not happy. <laughs> I don't want one more child. I'm happy. He always wants one more million. Be content with your pay. But you know what was the problem with the audience of John the Baptist? They had gone into, they've been into the synagogue. And the synagogue was a place of prayer. It was a place of instruction. It was a place of learning. But you know that it was only the place of prayer, instruction, and teaching on Sunday. During the week, kids came to learn the Bible. During the week, it was the city council that moved into the synagogue. During the week, even the elders were authorities in the city as well. So the synagogue was a place where people were instructed in the ways of God on Sunday so that they can live out the word during the week. So even when they were teaching children, it was to teach children to understand the word of God so that when they, they go into practical life, into day-to-day -day living, they know what to do based on the word of God. So the teaching during the week was completely different to the teaching on Sunday because it was a practical teaching to apply. But the problem, and that's an answer that John the Baptist couldn't give the people, was that how are we going to do what you are asking us to do? Because we have heard... We understand this. We know the scripture. Well learned. The, the Bible says even about Apollos. He knew the scriptures from A to Z. He knew them. But putting them in practice was the problem. Putting them in practice was the problem. And it had to be the problem because verse 16, 
The people are asking in, in, in Luke 3, people are asking, are you the Messiah? Because they had, they had studied in Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 that there will be a Messiah in the likeness of Moses. And that Messiah will take us, like Moses took us away from slavery, the Messiah will come and take us away from the spiritual slavery that is preventing us from applying God's words. So we hear that we need to be kind to the poor, but somehow we, we are not able to do it because we're wanting to do it in our flesh. We can't do it. We know that we, we, don't, we have to be content with our pay, but we can't be content with our pay because we're trying to be content with our pay in our flesh. But when the Messiah comes, he's actually going to become the word of God becoming flesh. He's going to come and dwell with us in our reality. Reality of shortage, reality of petrol price going up, reality of, of, uh, of, uh, of actually, uh, like I was, I was joking with, with, with the people at, at, at uh, Life Group, that the, the reality that even though you are saved, the neighbor's wife is still attractive. How are you going to live in that situation? When, when you are being told, do not be, do not, do, do not actually, what is that? that, that uh, uh, do not covet. The reality is there. Only when Jesus comes, only when he shows us the example by dying to all those fleshly lusts that are pulling us down, only when he, die, he dies and then he, he raises up, then all of a sudden the teaching of the synagogue become applicable. We're now able to apply them because Jesus has come and us, he has shown us the example. So John the Baptist was baptizing prophetically to say there will come a day where Jesus will come. When he dies, that's why we go under the water. Christon, what a great decision to choose to be baptized even in your clothes. That's why we go under the water. Because we are going and dying like Jesus to the very same things that were, were taking us captive. The lust, the greed, the gossip. We go into water and they remain just like Jesus died to all of those things. And then we can rise up again and become free. And now we can apply the word of God. And now the, the true baptism is, is the baptism where the death of Jesus is what actually we are depicting when you are going into the water. Whereas the baptism of John was a baptism where he was just prophesying the future. Apollos was even worse because at least John was still living this side of the future. Jesus hadn't died as yet. But Apollos was even worse because Jesus had already died. But he was still talking and preaching as if we are, we are, we are talking about the theory. We, we were living, they were already living in the practice of Jesus' death. My point right through would just be take it home. Take it home. Take it home. Take it all the way home. Jesus took the gospel home. The word became flesh. He came and lived in the realities that we are facing. He took the gospel. He dwelt, which means being at house. I mean, in, in the household with us. Being home. Jesus came and, and came home to be with us. Where, where actually the rubber hit the road. It's home. We can be so happy here, but home, that way it really happens. Jesus came home with us 
And then he promised us another home, John 14, that the Father is preparing for us. He brought the gospel home so that we can apply it, so that we can practice it, so that we can love it. And that's what salvation means. Salvation means I failed to live the gospel by myself, but now Jesus has come. He has shown me the, the example. I can now live the gospel in the realities that are facing me in this South Africa. Here we can live the gospel. And my last point, it, it's called uh, Association uh, Chapoense, Chapoense, I think it is, the football. Well, I don't have to pronounce it properly. I think maybe it's uh, Ivonia and her sister Angela. They are from Brazil. How, how do you pronounce that? <laughs> okay, you, are, you now speak Afrikaans, eh? <laughs> you are from the BRICS. <laughs> from Brazil, but you speak Afrikaans, so you are, you are BRICS sister. <laughs> you don't have to pronounce it, it's fine. The story goes like this. I actually remember this story. I was on, on my way to, to America, uh, and then we, we took off from Heathrow. And uh, so we're going to Chicago, and then halfway on top of Dublin. Because uh, if I go a bit over, it's because my, my clock has stopped. So we, we went over, and then we got to Dublin. We turned back. Why? Because there was no water in the aeroplane. I'm like, yo, guys, no water. What if there was no fuel in the aeroplane? And, <laughs> and that's what I remember this, that's when I remember this story. On the 18th, sorry, 28th of November, 2016 in Colombia, Association Chapecoense, the football. They took a plane, it was a Evro RJ85 to go to play a final. It was a soccer game, play a final, and then there was a plane crash. What was so amazing, I mean, what was so surprising, not amazing, surprising was the fact that there was no explosion. So everything was pointing to the fact that maybe the aeroplane ran out of fuel. So they did some investigation, took out the, the, the black box, which is actually orange, I don't know why they call it black box. <laughs> and then they, they realized that the pilots were aware of fuel limitation at, at, at that time. It was neither adequate, remember that? Neither adequate fuel in the plane, nor sufficient. The pilot knew that they didn't have enough fuel, but how did they carry on going? They realized that there's something called the endurance of a plane. So basically, you need to have enough fuel to allow you to fly for an hour longer than the duration of your, of your flight. So they suffer what they call fuel exhaustion. But you know, what was the problem? The problem they realized that the aeroplane was actually overweight by 440 kilograms, but it had two tons less fuel. And what was even more surprising was the fact that they were very close to their destination. You know, it's, it's like very close to Jesus, but not quite there. The gospel, the church, every day, but not quite. They were very close to their destination, but they didn't make it. In fact, they were in the holding pattern. <coughs> what was even more surprising was that 
there was another airplane that was landing to the uh, landing on the uh, I mean landing on on the airstrip, the same airstrip, there was another aeroplane that landed a couple of minutes before them while they were in the holding pattern. And that aeroplane was also running out of fuel. So I don't know how you're going to check when, next time that you're flying, when you're booking your flight, you know, <laughs> how's the aeroplane, if the aeroplane is going to have enough fuel. You know, that aeroplane was also running out of fuel. But what was, what, what was the, the, the biggest uh, surprising thing was that nobody knew that that aeroplane was running out of fuel. And then the investigation started showing that the pilot was the owner of the aircraft. He was in business. He was accurate in calculating how he's just going to make it to the next air, uh, airport without enough with just as little fuel as possible. He was very good, very accurate, but it wasn't adequate to get him to land. He was very accurate with his prophet, but he forgot about the purpose, was actually to land people safely where he was going. He was very accurate. He knew how to get more luggage so that people can, can pay more cargo and as little fuel as possible. And then he didn't, he didn't really get there. You know, it reminded me of the anatomy of sin. You know, sin, if you look at Adam and Eve, they didn't sin because of a wrong application of a theological principle. They didn't sin because they didn't know hermeneutics, the study of interpreting scriptures, they didn't sin because they didn't know eschatology, you know, the understanding of the end time and revelation and all that. No, no, that wasn't the sin. They didn't sin because they didn't understand expiation and justification and glorification and all that. You know, the sin because they couldn't apply the gospel to the basics of day-to-day -day living. Eating. When we don't apply the gospel to the basics of day-to-day -day living, we are in big trouble. We are not going all the way with the gospel. We are just going halfway. We are just being accurate. We are not being adequate. They didn't have enough fuel to take them home. And I've, I believe that's why Priscilla and Aquila pulled Apollos out of the synagogue and say, whatever you are doing in this synagogue, you need to take it the full length, the full kind of journey. You need to take it to the destination. Don't just become fervent in the synagogue. Take it out. Take it home. Take it into your workplace. Take it where the people are. Take it where the rubber hits the road. The full length, the full journey. The full journey. You know, when the Renault got stolen, we went into the police station, and I was with Becky Cabela. Uh, we told the policeman, we tried and tried, we, we just felt, you know what, we don't know how this Renault is going to be recovered, but Jesus will help us. Jesus will show us. This was the, they chose the wrong Renault to, store, to steal. <laughs> they should have chosen another one, not this one, because Jesus will help us. 
it was so surprising that the policeman told us, Jesus doesn't work here. <laughs> Jesus doesn't work here. And we left. We felt, okay, yeah, it's fine. But it is upon us as believers to take Jesus the full journey, the full distance from church into our homes, for, from church into our workplace, from church into our families, from church around the dinner table. Take him the full distance, the full length, adequately. You know, I'll, I'll, end, I'll end with this. This was Ephesus. It was a business town. And these were business people. They pull somebody from the church, a preacher, and say, you know what, your message shouldn't stop in the synagogue. Your, your message should go out there. I've got my, I, I think I can call you my friend because I've read your book, you know, Nico van der Merwe. I don't know if you, you realize, we had pastors from around the country that came to, to visit us a couple of weeks ago. And Rory felt the pastors need to go and visit Nico's business. Why? Because of two reasons. To show the pastors. You didn't know that what you, that what you were doing, Nico, but I think I, my, that's my, my reading of, of what happened. To show the pastors that whatever you are preaching from the pulpit, I'm applying it into my business. I'm taking it to full length. I'm getting baptized with my watch, my time, with my wallet, my money. I'm getting baptized with my cell phone. I'm getting baptized like Christon did today with all my clothes. Everything of me is getting soaked into the water. My family, my business, my friends, everybody. I'm listening to what you are preaching on the pulpit. I'm taking it into the workplace. And that's why even when there's not enough money in our bank account, I pray to God that I'll be able to pay bonuses. I read it into your book. And also, the other reason is to show us as believers that we need to go the full length. The full length. We can't just leave Jesus in church. We need to take him right into our lives home for Priscilla and Aquila. We probably think it was home, but remember in the Jewish culture, the business was actually done at home. Virtual, you know, working from home that people are opposing today, don't worry, it didn't start with COVID. With the Jewish culture, they were working from home. He took a preacher into the workplace. If we had to visit each other into our workplaces. What would be the testimony? If we had to visit each other into our homes, what would be the testimony? If we had to visit each other in the traffic, how many times will a taxi stop, pick up a passenger, and also take away our joy? And I think I'm going to end with that one.